0: You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from Three Triple Get a message to the ground crew to be careful with a package going to the zoo. <laughs> it is definitely not a statue. Okay, let's do the dinner review. Dinner review. Oh,
1: I just <gasps> want to know what's in the package now. Where do I? It's,
0: it's not a statue. <laughs>
1: I'm well, glad we've narrowed that down.
0: Yes, it's going to the. I, I think that's one of my favourites that I've done. Just <laughs> uh, throwing that out there. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it was pretty good. It's it was a fun one. It was a fun one. Like there's a whole story behind
2: it. Lucky. And a mystery, yeah, which I think mm. is the important fact. I've still yeah. got
1: a soft spot for the aristocrat driving the bob bobcat, bobcat. in a top hat.
2: Oh my god, you do remember <laughs> that? <laughs> wow,
1: that was quite a favourite. Lucky
0: I write them all down. <gasps> anyway, it's time for dinner review. Someone start where we talk about what we had for dinner last night. Exactly what we do. Uh, so I'll begin because I'm quite proud of mine because I actually cooked dinner. Oh. Hello. Yes, yes, it's it's been a while. <laughs> but when cat's away, I've got, to,
1: I've got to cook. What did you whip up?
0: Well, uh, Celia and I had a night in. We had a lovely night in where we were um, had a nice meal and watched a bit of um, TV, then went to bed. Uh, so I... And it was all planned, so I went to the supermarket after I finished here and picked up some supplies. And oh. then I... Um, so I made... Um, It's something that I like to call bowl food and I just put... um, It's very big
2: right now, bowl food. Yeah.
0: Just put put the food in a bowl. Um, So I got some um, chicken Thai sausages... And um and I got some From a butcher or from the supermarket? From um, Leo's so Okay, fancy
2: supermarket. Fancy
0: supermarket. Um and I so in the oven I roasted some um, sweet potatoes, some onions, some garlic and some corn.
2: Roasting oh. is a good way to cook when you can't cook, isn't it? Yeah. Don't you reckon? Just chop it up. Yeah, chop it up, chuck, chuck it in. The it oven. in. Mm. And then i put the
0: sausages in with them <gasps> as well. That is fa-
2: I didn't even know you could roast sausages.
0: I just you just bake I just kinda of bake them in I just put them in the oven.
2: Really? Google is, googled something, is it.
0: that something you can do? Yeah, I googled it first. Wow. Yeah, I, I thought cooking that. sausages in the oven. Well, JD Oliver's a fan of it. <laughs> really? Matt Preston's written about it. Oh wow,
2: a book. Yeah. No, sausages. just a
0: just a blog oh. that I found on the internet when I googled oven cooking sausages. sausages in the oven. Yeah. <laughs> Just whack them in for, like, you know. You know and it's, it's 20 minutes. And also it's, it's good. It's a great way to cook sausages because um, you don't have to turn them as much. And also it keeps all the juices in. Ah. Delicious. Oh, doesn't it? Yeah. And do you have to
1: don't poke g- them? No. Don't you, you don't have to worry that the sausages cook before the vegetables do?
0: Yeah. That's why I put the veggies in first. Ah. I was on to that. Clever. It's really clever.
2: Thank you. And he's ate all that together in a bowl. Oh,
0: and then, but also uh, had some beans and some broccoli. Steamed? Yep. Just whack them on right right at the end. You don't want to do that first. (laughs) (laughs) So whack them on at the end. And then I made a little dressing. So I had spinach in the bowl as well, spinach leaves. Had a bit of (sighs) dressing, chucked it all in the bowl, mixed it around. Yum, yum, yum. Took a photo of that. Delicious. Mm -hmm. You took a photo. um... Yeah, of course I did.
2: You salvaged yourself. Yeah, you know, that's just,
0: why I took a photo. Yeah,
2: that is really good meal. I feel bad for Kath.
0: <laughs> no, nah, there's leftovers, and right. also she she taught me about the bowl food. So ah. she's 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 all over. You bowl know,
1: when food. you were talking, it just reminded me. I actually had a dream last night of the reality TV show where some chef came around and he looked in your fridge. Oh yeah, just I remember that. Oh so he, was in there. But he came oh. to my fridge and there was nothing there apart from in the fridge apart from some margarine and a packet of tofu and he couldn't think of anything to cook. He couldn't have anxiety
2: <laughs> dreams about dinner. About
0: dinner. dinner?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, for good reason. I feel like he could have fried the
1: tofu. Yeah. Well
2: maybe, maybe, <laughs> <tofu. laughs> yeah. maybe that was my
1: subconscious yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's why I've got them both in the fridge. <sighs> anyway, I had a curry laksa. Um, I was mm. in... Well, you'd think so, wouldn't you? would think it was... Mm, but it actually wasn't that good. Where did you get
2: it? Luxus can go wrong, though. When they go wrong, I can't eat Luxa for a year afterwards. Yeah, I
1: was in a place in... I was in Carlton last night. I was doing that thing with Graham McRae Burnett, the Scottish writer. And um, Chris Wormsley was there. It was very nice. Um, but afterwards, I was hungry. And on the way home, I went to this place in Grattan Street, a Malaysian thing. But, and I really like curry Luxus, But you know what it had too much of it in?
2: Prawns. No. Carrot. Oh, oh. oh, that is sickening.
0: <laughs> not a bit of carrots. No. <laughs> no, was
2: quite that was quite yeah.
0: that bad. Like, oh, that's, a, that's fair. No. <laughs> Sarah <laughs> tossed the table to the
1: side. <laughs> Jomani 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 Jomani. carrots. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like supposed to be like you sort of, you know, it's like you just add a little bit of carrot or whatever. They've just gone overboard and all you could kind of taste was carrot. So It's not good. Yeah. Did no. you say anything? No, no, I just ate it.
0: Would you have said anything?
1: No. <laughs> I would have spooned all the carrots out into a little pile, though. Do you
0: know, sorry, just, I had a friend once that um, <laughs> ordered a dish once and she said, um, no prawns, please, in this dish because I don't like prawns. And then she got so many prawns <laughs> that she was able to rearrange them <laughs> to say, I hate prawns. <laughs> <laughs> I like
1: Is that real? <laughs> yeah. I should have done that with the carrots.
2: Uh, I didn't really have a dinner last night, technically, because I went um, from midday. I was at the, the judging meeting for the Australian Music Prize and um, we don't all get together very often. The judges, we all kind of live in different states and there's a lot of emailing and phone calls and, and stuff like that and this this is the final important round where you decide the winner. So we got to have a nice lunch, which is this cool. Is like your Christmas party. It was like our Christmas party. <laughs> so it was really lovely. Uh, And it was a little bit of a celebration for all the 365 albums we'd listened to during the year. Mm. And, um, you know, we had our little meeting and stuff, but then we got a nice lunch. It was um, at a French place. I'm not totally familiar with French food, but I had a lovely lamb, some lamb Mm. with some um, mushed, T- tomato that was that's got a really nice name, but I don't know. It's got a f- fancy name, but it's not mushed tomato, and it was delicious. Just some cheese stuff and some bread. It's, I'm not describing this very well. Am I no, also I had the, an entree. I had oh. an entree of tomatoes. Oh. Like it was a like a salad-y. Uh, It was like what is that Italian? I don't know, now I think about it, it was at a <laughs> French place. But what is that, that Italian salad called? Where you get the cheese and the tomato together? Oh, I don't know, but yeah, yum. yeah, soft cheese and tomato. Anyway, it was oh. that, but a French version of that. And a lot of wine. But that's what's great
0: about the French food is it's so simple Yeah, it was yum. super simple.
2: It was really delicious, and actually. I'm feeling so really oh, I ate, And I ate and then I didn't eat from yeah. 1 p.m. onwards. I went, you know, we had the mm. event that night, so I was out until 10 p.m. with no more food. Like a but python. I was that full, like a python. <laughs> that's exactly what I felt like afterwards. <laughs> but I did drink um, some wine. And did, stuff. Was there a dessert? No. I did have a cappuccino afterwards. Actually, I got a cappuccino and I was so... You know when you're thinking all oh, I want is something sweet, but I was too embarrassed because I thought this is not the kind of place where they'd bring you a coffee with a biscuit on the side, like you know, get tiny titties yeah. yeah. on the oh, side. Yeah. And, I, and the, the just put down the coffee and I just went, I looked down, I looked into my coffee and went, can I please have a biscuit? <laughs> and she, my friend who was sitting opposite me said, did you just whisper into your coffee, can I please have a biscuit? And I said, yeah, but I didn't want her to hear me because I was too embarrassed to ask properly for a biscuit. Did, no did you biscuit, get a biscuit? She never heard. Oh, oh I never that's a such a sad story. I know. I know,
0: anyway So <laughs> the big fan of biscuits, not a fan of
1: carrots David Stratton, A Cinematic Life is a new documentary Released in cinemas nationally on Thursday We are very fortunate to be joined in the studio By the subject of the documentary, movie icon David Stratton Welcome to Breakfasters Thank you for having me It's a great pleasure, this movie is a history of you
3: It's also a history of Australian cinema How did the project come about? Well, when we finished, when Margaret Pomeranz and I finished uh, our 28-year run of At The Movies, um, our producer came to me and said he'd like to talk about doing not exactly a history of Australian cinema, that wasn't the idea, but just my... Uh, responses to some of my favourite Australian films or some of the most important Australian films. And so it developed out of that. It started off as a, a three-part television series, which it still will be um, f- much further down the track. Um, but right now there's a, a, a cinema version, which, uh, as you say, is happening on Thursday. And, and it's, a, it, 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 it's a combination of aspects of my life and how they somehow connect with some of the great Australian films. You describe yourself as someone
1: who, from a very early age, loved movies, which is perhaps not so unusual. What's more unusual, from a very early age, you also loved writing about movies, and you've still got the very first review you wrote at the age of (laughs) seven. So where did this imperative, not only to see movies, but to analyse and talk about them, where did that come from?
3: Look, I honestly couldn't tell you. Uh, how, how, how an obsession begins, uh, I, I really don't know. My grandmother took me to the cinema uh, four times a week uh, from the time I was about two years old. Uh, indiscriminately, it didn't matter what um, was on. Um, I grew up in England. My father was in the British Army fighting the war uh, in Burma. Uh, my mother was volunteering for the Red Cross, and so my grandmother, grandmother cared for me. And that was her way of taking up the time i guess um so uh, from the age of about two till six i saw everything everything and um then the war ended and and my father came home thankfully and uh, we moved somewhere else and suddenly that that uh, flow of movies was abruptly cut off like an addict, addict i guess you know suddenly, <laughs> suddenly losing his fix um but then I, I, I remember one of the very few films my parents took me to was a film called The Overlanders, which was made here in Australia but by an English company. And I, um, I was very intrigued by that because it looked um, like a Western and yet it didn't look like a Western. And I remember, um, I think, my mother showing me what somebody had written about it. And I thought, okay, I'd I'd like to write about it too. So it sort of started from there. (sighs) Um,
1: In the movie, you talk about how your family originally had planned for you to work in the family business, which was Mm. a grocery emporium. Mm. You avoided that when you were offered a position in the Sydney Film Festival Mm. during a trip to Sydney that was originally supposed to be temporary. Mm. If that hadn't happened, how would your life have worked out, do you think? Would you have ended up in movies? Was that inevitably going to happen?
3: I don't know. Who knows? I mean, fate steps in and and changes your life. And and I think one of the, one of the things about life I, I've discovered is that you really have to be in the right place at the right time, and and somehow it all works out or doesn't, I guess. Uh, but in my case, it certainly did. Um, I, I would definitely have gone back to England and and um, resumed my work for the family business, uh, but it wouldn't have lasted because. Um, that those kinds of uh, family grocery businesses, we had several branches around the west of England, um, would very soon have been uh, overwhelmed by the big supermarkets and, and so on. So it was it was not going to last more than uh, a few years. Although I wasn't really aware of that at, at the time, uh, and in in that case, I don't know what would have happened. Who knows? <laughs>
2: You've always been a, a champion of Australian film mm. and in this particular movie links these moments in your life to moments in mm. Australian
3: cinema. Well, the, the director links
2: oh, them. Yes, sorry, the yeah. director, not I mean,
3: I, I, I was quite unaware of what she was doing. Oh, wow. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, I mean, as we know, film is a director's medium, so I, I gave myself entirely when we went into this project to Sally Aitken who, who wrote and directed it and she had the idea, which she didn't even tell me, oh. uh, about um, linking parts of my life to um, scenes from some of the famous Australian films and it was only when I saw the film for the first time that I realised what she'd done Did you say two stars or five stars? (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't even think about that (laughs) Um,
2: Well, I was wondering then what you considered the most important or significant moment in Australian film in your life working in it
3: Well, I I think uh, that period in the 70s when uh, suddenly there was this enormous flourishing of uh, cinema after a drought. I mean, there'd been years when there were really no Australian films. There were foreign films like The Overlanders made in Australia. But there were very, very few Australian films made. And then suddenly at the beginning of the 1970s and, and particularly from about 1974 onwards... When Peter Weir made his first film, uh, when there were films like Sunday Too Far Away and then My Brilliant Career and and uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock and so on, um, Break a Morant. I mean, that was just such an extraordinary um, flowering of a new medium mm. for us.
1: To give a sense of that time or maybe the time before it, before that drought broke, you discuss in the film that you were actually under ASIO surveillance for <laughs> something like a decade. I mean, it seems almost unthinkable
2: I now. I know
3: that. <laughs> well, I think that uh, it was because I was involved in the arts. And, Always suspicious. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> really. I think the arts were suspicious, especially if they were... And they probably still are. Uh, especially if you were dealing with, uh, as I was then, because I, running the Sydney Film Festival, we were showing films from all over the world, and that included... Um, Films from Russia and and uh, Poland and Hungary and all these dreadful communist countries. Um, I didn't realise at the time that I was being I was under observance. Um, seems to me now like a complete waste of time, though, <laughs> but um, and money. But um, look, I think people today, if they're working in the arts and they're dealing with Muslims, they're probably under surveillance. So so it's. Uh, it was ever thus, I think. <laughs> um, you also discuss in the film you're a long-term campaigner
1: against censorship, and people might not realise how draconian Australian film censorship was. Oh, God, one, yes. At one time. But You also discuss your controversial decision not to give a rating to the film Rumpa Stomper on the basis that it glorified racism. I, I remember thinking that at the time when I saw it, but I wonder how you feel about assessing it in the context of today, given how mainstream racism has become
3: since then. Yeah, but that doesn't make it um, acceptable, I think. So obviously, so so um, my concern with romper Stumper at the time was I was in a real dilemma with that film because it's a very well-made film. It's mm. a superbly acted film. I think Rus- Russell Crowe gives one of his best performances in that film. Scary stuff. But at the time in Sydney and Melbourne there was tremendous conflict between Nazi neo-Nazis and Vietnamese immigrants. So the film was reflecting that. <coughs> Excuse me. What troubled me was that the film had no character that the audience, no positive character that the audience could latch on to. So it was either the Nazis or it was the, 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 the Vietnamese who were uh, reacting against, you know, with violence, against the, to the violence against them. Um, I thought... Maybe I was wrong, I don't know, but I thought at the time that the film could unintentionally promote violence. And um, so I was in a dilemma because on the one hand uh, I had to score it. Um, it, It's not a bad film, in fact it's on many levels a good film. Um, But I didn't want to uh get away from my 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 feelings about the morality of it so i made the decision not to score it at all and it may have been the wrong decision but and of course it was used by the distributor as as uh publicity david stratton <laughs> refuses to score so so it became even bigger you know um and um, the director jeffrey wright has seems not to have forgiven me as you as you
2: Find we'll out in, in the, the film. film.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, a big uh, thing that we loved about you and Margaret Pomeranz working together over your career was the kind of yin and yang dynamic. Mm. I'm just wondering, do you miss each other at all? Or do you do you hang out still, <laughs> <laughs> or call each other and have a little argument every now and then? <laughs> Are we, we
3: we speak on the phone, um, yeah. and we we um, and we see each other from time to time. Yeah, but we're very different. We don't we yes. don't you know hang out really. <laughs>
2: Oh, That's
3: so nice to know I feel like we can talk forever One more question I guess Um, You're
1: a film aficionado You say in the the, the movie that you see a film Try and see a film every single day A lot of people have been talking about how In recent times television has taken over Mm. As a preeminent cultural form Do you feel that as well? Did your interest extend to say All those HBO series that are coming out now?
3: It hasn't really. Um, I've tried to watch a few and I find them terribly overinflated. Um, I, I get impatient with them because, uh, uh, because they have so much time to tell their story. Um, they seem to, um, to me, to pad it out and waste time. Uh, maybe I've watched the wrong ones, um, but uh, I've only, must say, I've only watched a couple. Um, I think further research is called for. <laughs> now
0: I'm with you. Get to the point point. move on. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, the movie's entitled David Stratton, A Cinematic Life. It's showing cinemas nationally on Thursday and there's going to be later on the ABC. We've been very fortunate to be talking to its subject David Stratton, thanks so much for joining us. Deborah Zimmerman is the Executive Director of Women Make Movies, a non-profit New York-based film organisation that supports women filmmakers. She's here in Melbourne as a guest of the Australian International Documentary Conference, but she's joining us here for Breakfasters. Happy International Women's Day. And to you, too. Thank hey. you. You became head of Women Make Movies back in 1983. What was the situation for women in the industry back then, and how has it changed?
4: Well, of course I was a child then. <laughs> 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 um, oh, it's changed. It's it's uh, actually it's unbelievable how much it's changed. Uh, I actually remember the very first film I ever saw by a woman director, which is something that I don't think that anybody who's of any age can say they just don't remember because there's so many films by women there were so few few films being made in Hollywood that, that were made by women or even represented women's perspectives and quite few documentaries as well what, so what was that first film? The first film was a film called The Trouble with Angels by a director named Ida Lupino, who was one of two women directors that actually were working uh, in Hollywood between 1930 and 1960. Wow. 30 years.
0: How young were you? Like, when I was young watching films, I wasn't looking at who was directing the films. Yeah. Like, we... Did you always have a fascination in film? Is that why you were, you know, looking?
4: Actually, no, I I didn't realise it either. It wasn't until I was an adult that I realised that was my favourite film when I was growing up. And it was about these two little girls who were in a convent and they got into trouble all the time. It was called The Trouble with Angels. And I loved that film. And I realised, oh my God, I probably loved it because it was a woman director. And that was a bit of kind of my epiphany about how important films can be in shaping us and in telling us stories about our own lives and, and giving us models or giving us just visions of what our life can be like.
2: Gina Davis is out here at the moment talking about oh, her work um, with, I think, the Institute on Gender and Media and uh-huh. has done a lot of work in trying to bring Hollywood's attention to the lack of um, female parts in films and female yeah. directors and behind the scenes. What do you think has been the most significant um, I don't know, Push so far to get
4: women, more women on screen? That's a really good question. Um, You know, I, I have to say, I think the work that Gina's doing is extraordinary and really important. And actually, over the last five to seven years, there's been... A, an amazing um, amount of research that's been done by a woman named Martha Lousen for 10 years at USC in California, work that is doing. But I actually think the Oscar So White campaign um, of two uh-huh. years ago is kind of was started as the, that was the, the breaking point in a way. Um, and that's had more traction because I've also, I'm old enough to have lived through quite a number of the year of women in Hollywood <laughs> where, you know everybody talks about it, talks about it, and maybe something changes a little bit, but nothing really changes but I think it's I think we're really we're really making headways, um, one of the most important things, I think too, although with our our u s current administration, <laughs> um, I will not say those two words of that person who happens to sit in our very big house in Washington. Um, it, things might change, but the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, um, has actually been looking into a suit against the studios in Hollywood for unfair labour practices. So this is the kind of thing that's really wow. going to create change. Yeah. Well, because,
0: it, yeah, it seems like over the years there's just been a lot of talk about, yeah, we need more women in film, but nobody really knows what action to take to to make that happen. I mean, you look at here in Australia with the Tropfest Film um, competition, and for years there's been a really low rate of women um, uh, putting submitting films, and then they um, they or oh, not submitting films. There's plenty of women submitting films, but not many of them making it to the final cut. Um, but then this year they did blind testing, so they mm-hmm. took away the names, the gender and age and it ended up being 55% Fantastic. women. So you get little things like, like that, little changes that seems to help the cause rather than just talking about it. Have you got uh-huh. any other examples of...
4: Well, you know, this is really funny because for a long time, uh, I'm very lucky I get to go all over the world and and give talks about women in film. And I used to say that when women filmmakers died and went to heaven, they came to Australia or Canada because those were two countries that really had strong initiatives that supported women filmmakers. And I'm talking about back in the day when there was um, a women's film fund that specifically funded women. Um, There was a women's film unit from... uh, I don't remember who put it on, but uh, so it was specifically to produce films about women. And there was also a, a distributor, it wasn't a particularly uh, women's distributor, it was Sydney Filmmakers Co-op, which was um, feminist in nature. So it, it's really those kinds of initiatives that look at all three or four or five areas of film that really enable women to go forward. Um, Now I say that when women filmmakers die and go to heaven, they end up in Sweden, because Anna Cerner, who's the new head, or not so new anymore, maybe she's been there four or five years, of the Swedish Film Institute, came in and said, there's absolutely no reason in the world why we can't have equality. And she had a five-point plan um, that put into practice mentoring programs, uh, role modeling programs for younger younger women. Um, there was a bidding process where they really looked at who's submitting the bids. They didn't have a quota, but they said very clearly, we are going to look more favorably on projects which have um, equality as part of their makeup. So it can happen. In fi- it, she actually had a five-point plan that was a five-year plan, and in three years, Sweden now has 50% are uh, funded films by women through the Swedish Film Institute. I feel like there's been a lot of significant films like Bridesmaids and kind
2: of Buddy, I think it was Baby Mama as well, uh, That kind of, that were kind of Buddy films, female Buddy mm-hmm. films. But at the time, everyone was so shocked that they were successful and there was this idea that women had to prove that men would go and see like films with women in them do you think that's still the case that we have to prove that people want to go and watch women
4: on screen yes and it's so crazy because if you look at some of the most successful films of the last year they're films that have women at the center Mm. um even the academy award films this year although they weren't directed by women the nine films that were um that were in the running for the, for the best film, many of them had strong women characters. Um, but yes, we still have to prove that, that people want to go out. In fact, the Producers Guild of America, um, the East Coast chapter, put out a fantastic publication, one of these other kind of research-based publications that showed how much, how it is economic sense to hire women directors, to support women-led films, because they actually have a better return on the box office. Wow!
1: Yeah.
4: Your website notes
1: that men account for seventy-four percent of individuals working as film critics. I guess in in the U.S., how important is that infrastructure
4: around films for contributing huge. to huge? That seventy-four percent, I think, comes from Rotten Tomatoes, which is not U.S.-based; it's right. worldwide, so it's not just in the U.S. Um, but it is really appalling. It's one of those. It's one of those hidden statistics that people don't really. Think about so, you know. Just imagine you're a woman. You're a woman. You want to. You want to make a film. You know. You go to film school, and probably most of your teachers are going to be men. Um, I still hear stories of women not being able to get into cinematography classes because women shouldn't be cinematographers. Um, you then are kind of g- very gently pushed into producing as opposed to directing. I just heard the story yesterday from an Australian um, who actually is, is involved with uh, film teaching. Um, saying that he's really trying to encourage women to direct because they kind of get pushed by a lot of other people into producing. Then you make a film, you submit the film to a film festival, and probably the program of the film festival is a man. Um, and then you are looking for a distributor, and if it's a large dist- distribution company and it's doing theatrical distribution, usually the people deciding are men. Then finally your film gets made out there into the world... And it's time to get reviewed, and 74% of the people that are reviewing it are men. So it's kind of like from beginning to end, this real uphill battle. Um,
0: that's it's a men's club all the
4: way. It really is. It really is. And I wonder why sometimes, you know, women have accomplished so much in... in Medicine and in business and the legal professions. But I think it has to do with the fact that, that we are so used to, and men are so used to seeing women as objects of desire. And films are like our dreams. It's kind of the way that we put ourselves into the world. It's our, our projection of ourselves and of the world we want to see. And you know what? I think if I was a guy, I'd like to see naked women up there on the screen all the time. You know, I'd like to be the one that had the gun and was in charge and kind of the, he, hero with a movie, and that's kind of why we do what we do at Women Make Movies, because we really want women to be heroes of their own movies, and for um, everybody, not just women, to get to see them.
1: Just before we let you go, if you had to nominate a movie that you'd like everyone to see on International Women's Day, what would it be?
4: Oh, wow. On the <laughs> spot, <spotlight>. mate. <laughs> that is really on the spot. Um, let's see. Well, you know what? I will be very... Um, it's a film that, that we have just... Uh, Acquired in the United States. It's a film called Heather Booth Changing the World. Heather is somebody that's not even known in the U.S. Um, part of the reason for making this film is so, is so that more people know her. She's been a community organizer her whole life. She's been involved with just about every important progressive struggle in the United States, from the civil rights movement to the abortion rights movement. Um, and she's Just done extraordinary work. And seeing this film recently made me realize that we can resist um, the trend of politics right now, the trend towards anti-immigration and sexism and racism. And this film made made me think, yes, we can. We can endure and we can resist. So... I hope everybody gets a chance to see it.
1: Deborah Zimmerman is from Women Make Movies, a New York-based film organisation. She's in Australia for the Australian International Documentary Conference. Thanks so much for coming in, Breakfasters. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So do you guys have, like, remember back to high school having prefects and SRCs and captains and all of that? Yeah. Yeah. School captains. Yeah. yeah. My older sister... um, all my older sisters were prefects, but they were, like, in Year 12 when I was still in primary school. But it was always something that I had looked up to and thought, oh, yeah, when I get to Year 12, I'll be a prefect and maybe school captain. Um, I didn't. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know, but it was this moment of... Um, I just... Part of me, because I saw, you know, I had three older sisters and because I saw all of them be in this position of leadership that I just went, oh, well, it's it's inevitable that I will end up in that position as well. Yes. <laughs> it,
2: did, yeah, oh, when I was in primary school, well, this goes for um, my whole family, each one of my family, so my eldest brother, and my two older sisters were Blue House captain. Yes. And I was like, well, I have to be, I'm going to... Particularly, the sister Christ. right above me because she was one year above me, so there's yeah. a whole lot of pressure. And I was like, "No, I want to do this. I really want to be blue house captain." And so, and I was huh, after great. that. Well, Congratulations! The Thank you. Yeah. What
0: did, what did you have to do to become captain? Yeah, do it-
2: you Do you know what's interesting about that? Is I was really unco. So both my other sisters are extremely good athletes. Really. Well, I've like-
0: met one of your sisters, yeah. and I can attest to.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how fit she is, yeah. yes. It's quite embarrassing how fit I'm not. But she – so uh, I was really unco. I wasn't a sport – up until like year six, I wasn't a particularly good runner. I still played sports because I loved it, mm. but I wasn't very good at it. And so I had to get up and give a little speech about why I should be was Blue House a, captain. I
1: was, I was just <sighs> struggling to remember whether we had this. was it elected?
2: Was that how it was? It works? was elected, yeah, right. I think class. it's different in, in different schools though. Yeah, maybe sometimes it's appointed. And, um, but in this one it was you, – you know, and you I remember – to be voted
0: in. You had yeah. to be voted
2: in. I remember a speech, and there was a girl who was extremely sporty in my uh, year, and she got up and gave her speech about it. And then I got up and gave a speech, and I don't know what I said. I probably promised them all <laughs> like more chips or Forget something at lunchtime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I got voted the leader of the. Of the Blue house, I was Mate, very proud goodness of myself. it's the same as me, really. Yes, oh my god, I know
0: because I had this. Um, you know, for me, I went, Oh, well, there's an attainable goal for me is to be house captain because yeah. I was like, You loved sport, was always involved in anything that I could be, yeah. And also, one of my sisters was, um, was house captain for Red, our family was part of the Red oh, House, we were
2: blue team, yeah. Well,
0: up no. <laughs> 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 but and I remember like her taking the role quite seriously and like getting old bed sheets and getting spray paint and yes. you know, making banners and what,
1: like, so it was like a full on election campaign.
2: Well, this is when they actually – she got to the actual swimming oh. carnival. And yeah, you'd have like sports carnivals and I remember yeah. that making um, pom-poms out of blue and making up blue chants. Oh, I chants see, right. And yeah. Oh, like for the, the house. For the that. actual yeah. carnivals. Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: Not just – I thought you meant to vote for you Oh, <laughs> I was no. saying, that was a bit over the yeah, top. Yeah,
2: no. <laughs> uh,
0: so I was like, yeah, I really want to do it. And then – so at one – because I changed high schools in, in year 11. I did year 11 twice, went to a different high school. So – did, went to year 11 at one high school, was um, managed to get a house vice captain, maybe oh. at, at one, and then was, you know, so so proud of being in that position yeah. that, to the point where, like, at the swimming carnival, like, I would go in every single race to try oh. and because the you know, the more people you get a point for. Participating, what? so it's like we've got to win this. So the more people we have, so to, I would lead by example and go in every single race. Which at the end of the day meant I was runner-up age champion because I was the there was only oh. two of us that went in every race. Been- so I was <laughs> runner-up age champion right here. <laughs> the girl that did win, she did go on to win a silver medal at the Sydney Olympics. So. <laughs> oh, well, <sorry. laughs> But there was, you know, we did the individual medley, and she lapped me twice. Oh my god, are you serious! And we're the only two in the race, and so oh, the whole no. school just had to watch me try to do 15 oh of well,
2: butterfly. Was there any point you're like, I'm just, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give up on this?
0: No way! Because I was just like, come on, this is for the points. To get how nah, many well, points we got. You I, I
1: sympathise with you, as you know, I. I I hated swimming. Yes, and um, my experience of swimming was very much like that. It wasn't just similar. But I enjoyed
0: it. No, oh, I didn't enjoy. I, it I was just it Splashing every away lap. And,
1: <laughs> no, and the other, <laughs> the other, everyone else would be going back and forth, and I'd just be struggling to keep my head above water and just Man. thinking, God, this let this soon be over.
0: Yeah, but I was a hero. No. Everyone was cheering for me. It was great. And yeah, because I was the only one there. It was all about me. It was like, <laughs> like, come on, <laughs> go, Jessica. Is there a chant? Jezza, no, imagine Jezza. that. Jezza. Yeah, I put that in my memory now. <laughs> <laughs> but then, but then I went to like a went to a different high school and was like, I'm going to have a crack at it here. i place in Red sorry, again. That is
2: very scary because when you go to a new high school, you're going and you don't know anyone yeah. and you haven't got any friends. I know, right? How did you make friends with people so fast?
0: Uh,
2: you just walk around going Jeez, Jeez
0: No, I had a couple of mates, and also I found out that no one else really wanted to do it. <laughs> So well, someone was curious. like, "I said, so you had to be nominated. And I was like, said, so can you please nominate me? And they go, oh, yeah, whatever. Only, like, two people were nominated maybe. And so I ended up being vice captain again. Oh,
2: my God, you're a legend. I
0: know. And can I tell you my favourite banner that I made? Yes, please. Um, it was uh, Arnie M, hate you, hate Kansas, taking the dog, joining Red House, love Dorothy. What <laughs> the?
1: I don't
0: understand that. Think
1: about it. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more?
2: Check out our website at rrr.org.au.